there are some people who have had a global impact on the world in a massive way, and there are others who have had a global impact on the world to a less observable extent. My guest today is one of those. He has contributed all over the world to large, small, and medium-sized organizations, always on the edge of technology, always looking for a better way to communicate to make life better. I know that's a big mantle to put on someone's shoulders, but his shoulders can bear the weight. It's a great conversation, and we find out that he, he loves cars. He just doesn't have one. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his What? It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Merry. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Merry. Now, today we have the master guru, techo, nerdy kind of guy, but he's a hell of a nice guy as well. He has a background in journalism. He's got a, an MBA. He has consulted and continues to consult to some of the big names in business, the ones that only have initials like AT&T and you know, CCA, Coca-Cola, Australasia, all these big names. And he consults with them about their technology, how they use it, uh, and also how to bring humanity back to the technology. He's a man I admire a lot and a man whose hairstyle is similar to mine. Please welcome Terry Brock. Warwick, it's great to see you, my friend. How you doing, mate? I am very well indeed and all the better for having you here as well. Now, I'm going to start this the way I do always, which is asking the question for someone who has had his works published in all the big name magazines, has dealt with the big end of town, lives in this glamorous lifestyle of Florida overlooking the water, like, you know, from all externalities, you look and go, wow, what a successful guy. But internally and for yourself, how do you define success? There's a lot of different ways you can define it. For me, I tend to embrace what the late, great Earl Nightingale said. He was called the Dean of Personal Development, co-founder with uh, Nightingale Conant Corporation. He said that success is the progressive realization of worthwhile goals. And I think, yeah, it's up to you. What is success to one person would not be to another. And I think that's the real key in life. You've got to figure out what it is that flips your cookies. What is it that excites you, makes you want to jump out of bed and get something done? Now, money is a component. Some people think, oh, success is all money. No, well, money is a part of it. Any more than just eating is a part of it. You know, if you don't eat, you're not going to be around for a while. And money is a means of exchange in our world today, particularly, and has been for only several thousand years. It's important. And so you got to have that. But I think it's a combination of those. So yes, success in business, but it's also success in relationships, how you define that and success intellectually, spiritually, and physically. I think, you know, the physical working out, there's all kinds of things. And I think we err if we lean too much into one mode. If you're only successful in any one of those and the others aren't, I don't know if I would define that as really successful. So I think it's that progressive realization of worthwhile goals. Yeah, it really is that spectrum, isn't it? So it is about looking at what is what is your focus right now because health is never important until it's an issue and then it becomes very important. I know so many people say, oh, your health's the most important thing, but when you look at their lifestyle before they got unwell, it wasn't in terms of their actions. So for you, what are some of the, the worthwhile goals that you pursue? What are the things that flip your cookies for want of the more technical term? 
Yeah, it's kind of a technical term, you know, just for Terry, you know, mm -hmm. I use that. But uh, for me, it's a matter of uh, maintaining the right kind of physical uh, fitness that I want to do. And I'm, I'm not competing with anyone except what I was before. So it's me. And then, of course, I like to go in every year and uh, have the doctor check all fluid levels, make sure all systems are operating within normal parameters. And when my doctor comes back and says, wow, Terry, I wish I had your blood. I'm going, oh, well, that's a good thing. He said, you've got the blood of a 30-year-old. I go, well, doc, thank you. And I'm not 30. You know, I, just, I was a couple of days ago, but uh, not anymore. But I find that you've got to find out what it is for you. And for me, success is I enjoy being a professional speaker. We get to be people who communicate with others. That's actually what I say we are. I came up with a phrase a while back and now Joel Block resurrected it. And I thought, yeah, this is a good thing that really, I said, we do a lot of things as speakers. We speak, yes, we also consult, we coach, we write, we blog, we podcast, we do all of that. But I don't think we ought to change our name to the national, all of those things. I think we'll keep it the way it is. And I think what you do in uh, Australia, professional speakers, Australia is great. But I think we are communicators who solve problems, CSPs, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a certified speaking professional. But I think in addition to that, we are communicators and we solve problems. And to me, that's a part of what life is. And it's a real privilege and an honor to do that. And just we get to meet wonderful people like you, or to get a uh, chance to you, bounce around the planet. You're so kind. There's a problem that you've solved, and I'm really interested in about it. You just made it as an off, offhand comment when we were uh, just having a chat before we start the recording. You got rid of your car like five years ago. You no longer have a car. Now, growing up, my, my dad, when I met a new kid at school and would go and hang out with their, their place, I'd come home and my dad would, would assess them based on the two questions. What does his dad do? What sort of car do they drive? So in my world growing up, your car it was one of the ways that you assessed someone and their level of success. But you haven't had a car for five years. So tell me about the process you got to... Re relieving yourself of a car and uh, why you did that and what does it mean to your lifestyle to no longer have a car Oh, in, a, in some, it's wonderful. I love it because I get a chance to have freedom and liberty to do what I want when I want. We got rid of it only because I was driving a wonderful car, a Lexus. Bought a uh, Toyota Lexus, one of the first out, and just ran it and ran it and ran it. It was so good. I liked it because it was nice and it worked. And then something went kaplooey on it. I think that's the technical term for it, mm -hmm. kaplooey. And uh, we thought, okay, we got to fix it. And they said, well, it's going to cost like 600 and some dollars. I thought, whoa, $600, you know where I grew up out in the country, we called that serious money. And I thought, wait a minute here. What if we didn't have a car? Uh, Gina, my partner, who you know, uh, and I talked about it. We thought, well, do we need it? I don't know. And I thought in our lifestyle, not everyone can do it, but with our lifestyle and the location that we have, we don't necessarily need one. Now, a lot of people do. In America, most people do. However, if you live in a place like New York City in Manhattan, many of our friends there do not have a car. Mm. And in other large cities around the world, that's unique to them. For us, we wanted to give it a shot. And so I embraced what I call the URT strategy. If we need to go somewhere, we would take Uber, we would rent a car, or we would take a taxi. And we found that that tended to work pretty well. And then we have things like Instacart or Shipped over here. Those are organizations where wonderful, delightful people go to grocery stores, buy items of food for us, just as we've re uh, requested, and they bring them to our door and drop them off. So we don't need to go shopping. And the kids at Amazon are really good that they're delivering these things to us sometimes the same day 
sometimes overnight, sometimes two days or whatever. And even now there's a little bit of delay because of the COVID-19 thing going on. But I step back and the real benefit is not just, we keep track of this, by the way, we're saving a huge amount of money. Because when you buy a car, it's not just the car. Mm. It's the over here. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I imagine it's similar. Your insurance, and then you got license plates, and then you got the taxes, and then you got the repair. Then you got to do the car, or the, the tires, and then da, 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 and all of that is time and money that I'm not putting into those things that I want. Mm. When I can take that time, that precious resource of time, money, and energy, and pour that into reading a good book, or watching a great video that's going to help my life either educationally or a real good piece of work that somebody has put together and has acted very well. I like that. And so for me, as we stepped back and thought about it, we decided we didn't need it. And we found, I don't know what it's like in Melbourne, but here in Orlando, they have lots of gentlemen that go on the radio and scream and yell at you about <laughs> making a good deal on a car. And they are doing, and they're doing the dealing that all other dealers don't do or something like that. And these gentlemen have said they would make me a good deal. So I guess if I ever really did need a car, one of those fine gentlemen would be able to make me an exceptionally good deal if I hurry in before the sale closes. <laughs> That's right. Almost at the end of the month, come on down shoppers. We'll get you a free car polish. And then do there's they always do that, that in Australia too. <laughs> uh, not as not as um, in your face as I've heard some of uh, my American colleagues do on some of the radios over there. But oh yes, it happens usually towards the end of every month, and we're coming into our end of financial year here. And and there's always the get that bargain before end of financial year. It could be a tax deduction. And yeah, I'm calling them like, obnoxious would be an upgrade for them. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, well, and you know, interestingly, General Motors uh, has just shut down in Australia. Uh, so, Holden, which uh, is the you know, it's such an Aussie name. No, nah, they will not make them anymore, and they, as a brand, won't exist. So, uh, very interesting. So, our car market is insane. We have so many. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Don't get me started on cars. <laughs> about economics and all of this and how it blends oh, together. And that's a whole just, other discussion. We oh, do have f- only 15 hours for this podcast. <laughs> we do. We do. We'll be here for the next week. Um, so tell me what led to what you do now. So you've been um, a, a speaker, a communicator, and a well, you're nearly the, you're to me. You've always been a voice in terms of you'll get something you're passionate about it, and you just naturally let everyone know. So you've been this sort of advocate for so many different software platforms, hardware pieces, um, ways of communicating. So, what led to that? What give us the the quick pricey of the Terry Brock story? I guess it's been, gee, I hadn't thought about that, but probably a transition that I started at one point and then just kept morphing and changing into others, going way back to when I was in uh, what we call in the U.S. second grade, I think it was seven years old or so, and started doing some writing for our school bus. And the Bus 2 Express, we called it, because it was bus two. And so we, uh, you know, put the thing together and we made a few coins on that. And then I started a little business with some friends and uh, we did that. And then I kept speaking and I liked the idea of writing. So I did that in high school and uh, did more. And so I just kind of have kept morphing throughout life and uh, doing different things with technology. When I got out of the MBA program, there was at that time, there was these newfangled things out there called spreadsheets. And they had a thing called VisiCalc and SuperCalc was even better. But there was this new kid on the block coming out called Context Management Systems MBA and Lotus 123. 
And so I looked at those two and I thought, boy, they both look good. And I don't know much at all. I didn't know anything about computers. I had to teach myself. But I looked at Lotus 1, 2, 3, and I thought, I could use this spreadsheet to do some cash flow statements and things like that. I mean, you go to an MBA program, they cram all this stuff in your head about P&L statements and cash flow and modified rate of return and internal rate of return, all that kind of nifty, groovy stuff. And I thought, I could take that and put it on a spreadsheet and then show some people how to use that and then maybe show a few others and then a few others. And after a while, I started uh, working with people paying. They paid me. That was nice. They paid me to show them how. And I started working with accountants on how to do that. And it, wor- it was so cool. Back then, you'd put a number in the screen. I go, watch this. They flash it up on the screen and everything. I'm going to change this number right here and watch what happens to all those other numbers on the spreadsheet. They would ripple across and they would go, oh. <gasps> Wow. You know, and I often say several of those CPAs, the certified public accountants, came dangerously close to actually having an emotion. It was a scary thought. <laughs> but I did that and then I morphed into teaching other things in computers and then morphed into other things. So I think the key is to keep changing in life. Keep adapting, keep morphing because the needs of the market are changing constantly. You know that very well. You've helped people in so many different ways. And as new technology comes out, Warwick, you're embracing it. You're grabbing it and going, oh, look how you do this. Look how you do that. And I think that's the key that we've got to do as uh, the Marines say, we improvise, adapt, and overcome. And just keep rolling with the punches and uh, going from there. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you to overcome during this journey? During the journey, well, I guess it's probably a lethargy at times that you can sit back. I think one of the greatest enemies is when you might do something okay, and then the danger comes. For me, I know I'm going down. When I sit back, lace my fingers behind my head, prop the feet up on the desk, go, hey, I'm pretty good. Yeah, this is good. You know, you got to relax a little bit now. Don't push too hard. Right about that time, somebody else out there is going, oh, yeah, he's sleeping now. Watch. (laughs) And come back. I think you've got to always stay alert. And I think, again, life is a balance. It's not like you work 24-7 and you end up dead way too early because you had, uh, as the Japanese call it, karoshi, you know, then you're death by overwork, that kind of thing. You don't want to do that. But I think you find that balance. And so for me, it's a matter of doing that and uh, staying up with what's going on. And I think if you enjoy what you're doing, you'll do very well. What was it Confucius said? If you work at what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that just makes a lot of sense. So how do you, um, because you've always been, maybe not uh, bleeding edge, but you've always been aware of leading edge and you've always got an eye on some of the, not just technologies, but also uh, people interaction methodologies and soft skills stuff as well as hard skills. How do you keep in touch with what's going on? How do you keep an eye on what's new? Well, it's a challenge and you can't keep up with everything, but I think you have to uh, filter it. You have to figure out what is it that I need to know? What's the most important thing? Uh, Craig uh, Shirky said it real well. It's not a matter of information overload. It's a matter of filter failure. And I think what we've got to do is have strong filters. So for me, I get a lot of information from many different sources. I love uh, podcasts. I have a lot of podcasts on both my smartphones. I have an iPhone 11 and I have a Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus. And I listen to both of those, sometimes the same podcast, just depending on what unit I've got. I watch a lot of videos on YouTube. Uh, another thing I don't have, I don't have a car, as we talked about. I also don't have a TV. 
got rid of TV about 10, 11 years ago now. It's one of the smartest things I did. And so I'm getting my news through the net. Also watch a lot of YouTube videos and really good channels that keep me up to date with what's going on. I visit a lot of uh, good websites studying that. And like you, connecting with people like you uh, that uh, help keep me up to date of new things. We help each other. Quite often, Warren, you're showing me, oh, look at this new thing. I go, wow, that's cool. Oh, here's something. Have you seen this one, Warren? Oh, yeah, that's new. So we're always helping each other. That's why I think it underlines the importance of communities that you can plug into. Yeah, and I really like the idea of uh, using community for... Well, it's not piggybacking, but it is that standing on the shoulders of giants. Because often you'll learn something new and think, what if I did this and then add something to it, add an existing skill set? So uh, who are some of the, the, the communities that you enjoy spending time with the most? Now, as you and I met through um, NSA, National Speakers Association, so, and you're very active there and you're one of their um, speakers of excellence and you won, won the esteemed Cavett Award. So um, I know that's a strong community. What other communities do you spend time in that, that give you energy and joy? There's several. I think a larger component of that, NSA, the National Speakers Association in the U.S., is a subset of the Global Speakers Federation, GSF. And so we get a chance to deal with our mates there in Australia with PSA, Professional Speakers Australia, and also the Professional Speaking Association over in the U.K. I spoke there a few months ago and had a great time. We spoke for CAPS, the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. So we went up there. So I find you get different perspectives when, you know, we work, I'm still working right now on speaking Australian. We speak American, you speak Australian. It's like uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw said about U.S. and uh, uh, in England, he said there are two peoples separated by a common language. And uh, so I find those communities are really good. We also plug into communities of, uh, I'm doing uh, work with cryptos, like with Bitcoin, with uh, Bitcoin Cash, with others. And I have communities that I plug into on that, see what's happening at that level. And I find that uh, is really encouraging. And I find other communities often uh, like Ecamm, which is a software I'm using. It's an online community, but I'm getting a lot of support there and help from people that are saying, oh, here's how you do that, or here's a new tool for this. That just today, I, w I lost a file. I wanted to know where did I find it. I put a note in there, and within just a few minutes, there were a couple of responses of here's how you get it, here's how you get back what you lost, and I found some new things too. So I find that those communities are good. Harvey McKay helped me with that. He's a best-selling author here in the U.S. He's also a member of our Speakers Hall of Fame. I've known him as a dear friend for about 20 some years now, 22, 23 years. And he talked to me about the communities. He said, you need different communities. So you might have a community here that's uh, your school that you go to, where you graduate. You might have another community in your profession. And then yet another one that might be for your faith, maybe your synagogue or your church or your mosque or whatever that might be. And so he says, you, you might have a little bit of overlap, but you keep those different communities. Two or three I have found to be very good. If you try to get too many, then you spread yourself too thin, you're not as effective. So I think you want to carefully determine which communities are right for you, which ones are going to serve you, and to what level they will. Some of the communities will be very strong. Uh, the National Speakers Association is very, very influential for me. I'm involved heavily in our local chapter as well as the national uh, organization. And I find also I get involved in other organizations to a lesser extent, but I guess for me, that would be the number one. And there's a difference between being a member of a community and being an active participant in the community as well, isn't there? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I think you've got to make that decision of how much you're going to be involved and with what, but you do need to be involved in the community. Mm. Uh, a lot of it can be accomplished in uh, online world. Yes, there's a lot of benefit, but there's also something to be said when you sit down and you share a few pints with your mates and you get a chance to say, okay, let's uh, break some bread together. Let's talk about something. And I find as I bounce around the world, and sit down and have a drink with someone. Usually after about the second or third drink, you find out really what's going on. <laughs> and you go, oh, that's interesting. And you know, that's really educational. Yeah. Because yeah. you hear things from a different perspective. Like, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's different than the way I was raised. But you say that and you let me think. You're making me think on that. Of course, then the Americans, we can come in and go, hey, 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 hey. Yours is a small country we have not bombed lately. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no comment on behalf of the Australian. <laughs> so, um, so we live in um, what's what's the quote? You know, may you live in interesting times, and I'm pretty confident we do. Uh, so, what do you see as the future for Terry Brock uh, coming up in the both the short term, and I don't even know if we're we're prepared to guess medium term. Like, you know, five years ago when people were saying, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" Everyone got it wrong. So, what what do you see is coming up in the future for Terry? I don't know exactly. And I think that's one of the scary things. We are in a time, as we're recording this right now, we are seeing events unfold that have never happened before, at least not to this extent in our country and in countries around the world. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it and we're going, oh my goodness, and maybe a few other more colorful military terms. And we're thinking, okay, what are we going to do about this? And I don't know. I do know I'll be a communicator who solves problems. I don't know what tool you and I will be doing using when uh, 10, 15, 30, 500 years from now, when you and I are doing another communication event like this, it'll be kind of fun to see it. And what we'll do as we beam over to each mm -hmm. other or whatever tool. But for me, I see that I am going to be speaking. I'm going to be writing. I'm working with a lot of clients right now in different areas, helping them to present. And I know I'm doing a lot more online. Just uh, talked with a client yesterday, wants me to get involved in ways where I'm going to help him to generate money. I will get a portion of everything that's generated from others that are supporting him. And so I like that. I like it as a speaker that I can get out and work with others. I do some work and then I get a piece of that action that's coming in. I get a percentage that will be ongoing for me so that every morning I can wake up and go, hey, look at that. A few coins came in from that. That was good. I did that one five years ago. And looky there, isn't that nice? <laughs> How do you deal with, with a situation like that when up front, there's always a lot of, oh, this is what's going to happen. And yeah, I'll work hard at it. And you're like, great, well, I'll help you. And then I'll just sit back and take my slice off the top. When the person gets sidetracked, it's that classic squirrel moment where they're like, oh, yes, this is the big focus. And now I've changed. So that your partner, for a bit of a better word, isn't doing what they said they'd do. They're not pulling their weight. How do, and this gets back to group assignments. Remember the old group assignments where, you know, you group of four people and you end up doing all the work and they get all the credit. How do you, do, how do you deal with that in a, in a business perspective when you've done your work up front and now they're not doing their bit now? Well, Obviously, there's legal ramification, but then that's only to the degree you're willing to enforce it and to litigate yeah, yeah. it and all that kind of thing. I think the most important thing is you got to do your work up front. What you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, is this a person I can trust? The client that I just uh, talked to yesterday about that and work with his people today on it, I've known for two years. And he's the kind of person that really is good. He, I've gotten to know him and his family and the people around him. And when he says, I will do this for you, Terry, 
he consistently does it. He's a professional. Mm -hmm. And so that's important. You want to study that person and also be willing to accept life and what's going to happen. I tend to be a strong believer and follower of the great people that came before us called Stoics, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, uh, Zenos, and uh, Seneca, people like that, that said, look, we accept life for what it is, not for what we hope it will be or what we think it should be. You know, we oh, it should do this and then get upset because someone else is doing it. No, you accept it for what it is. So I think when you're going into a relationship like that, do your due diligence and be willing to accept whatever's going to happen. Look at the worst case or the best case. It's easy to say, hey, we're going to work together and we'll make a bunch of money. It'll be great. And that's nice. And there are those that have done it. But also too often it ends up like you say, we work a while and then they didn't do that. And why did they do that? Oh, that didn't go well. And then it just kind of crumbles. So I think you have to look at it. What's going to happen and what are you learning? Yeah, yeah. If you're it's learning from it. That's real good. And, uh, you, and just realize this is the way the world works. Pick yourself up, uh, wipe the blood off, wipe the dust off, and uh, hit the road again, running and going at it, being resilient. What did the Japanese say? Knock down seven times, rise up eight times, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and we're going to have to wrap up soon. And I, as you say, we could talk for days. But what I'd like to know is what do you wish you'd known early in your colorful journey that has you know the strong theme of communication at its core even in no matter what manifestation that came what do you wish you'd learnt earlier what is it that you wish you'd known earlier as you journey forward on your path to success i think it would have been uh, to be able to communicate even better to learn how to write even better to be able to uh, connect with people and stay connected I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made is of the thousands and thousands of people, I didn't keep track of everyone. And I didn't give a way to do that, didn't collect email addresses, didn't collect the names and all that. And I think I'd like to do more of that. I've done a lot of it, but I think I would do even more. And I think I would have gone back and worked with some people. One of the things I, right now, if, I, if you ever get that time machine perfected that you're working on work, let me know. I want to go back. I went through the MBA program. The best professor I had was Dr. Stanley for strategic market planning. He was amazing. I learned so much from him about how to live life, how to adjust, adapt, how to work with uh, affluent people that he was studying at the time. Well, if I would have had it to do over, I'd go back and when I graduated, I would have gone back to him and said, hey, I want to work with you and be a research assistant. I'm not worried about making a lot of money right now. I want to learn because Dr. Stanley, as he'll always be known to me, was Tom Stanley. He went on later and wrote a series of books called the millionaire next door. And he was able to take the principles that he was telling us in class that. So I would go back and do it, but I think now, okay, I can't go back in time. We don't have the time machine yet, but when I find somebody that's really good, I'm willing to spend the time, money, and energy to hang around them, to yeah. be with them and learn from them because that's going to be more valuable than just a regular paycheck. And that way we can take that learning we get from an outstanding person, like I wish I would have done with Dr. Stanley. He's no longer with us, uh, but we miss him a lot. He was a good man. His books are incredible. And I could have done more. Well, I'm just going to, instead of regret, what can I do today? And what can I do right now moving forward so that for the next 250 years, I do even better? <laughs> and the challenge with that one is going to be able to identify some of these really smart people at the time. The philosophy Kierkegaard said life has to be lived forward but understood backwards. And so often some of these amazing people, we don't realize how amazing they are until way down the track. I know there's many kids, myself included, who didn't realize how amazing their parents were until way down the track and they look back and go, 
no, actually, no, they were good. I probably shouldn't have been such a pain in the ass as a kid when I was growing up. So, <laughs> hey, Terry, thank you so much for your time today. It's always a joy chatting with you. If people want to reach out to you and get in touch and find out more about how you can help them or contribute to their community or, or get involved in your community, what's the best way to get in touch? Probably the best thing to do would be go to my website. That's where you can find out about Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that nifty, groovy stuff. And the website is terrybrock.com. And that's spelled, since it can be spelled different ways, and we're doing audio here. It's T-E-R-R-Y. And Brock is spelled the right way, B-R-O-C-K. So terrybrock.com. And I look forward to hearing from him. Warwick, thanks so much for having me here. And those of you listening to this, I'm going to jump in here. This man is incredible. I've seen him on stage. I've seen him off one-on-one. He is a genuine jewel. He is an amazing man, brilliant, and very kind man. And uh, get to know him more. Thank you so much for your kind words. You are so kind. And thank you for your time today. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Mary. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success. <laughs>